Hey there, Poemcasters. We are back for episode two of Night Shift, The Silent Killer. Now, last episode, we thoroughly scared our listeners, talking about all the bad things that can happen to you if you work Night Shift. Now, since that episode came out, I've worked some Night Shifts. I've got some more coming up. So let's spend some time talking about what are some ways we can make Night Shift a little easier, whether that's medication or other options. And then at the very end, we're going to go through a couple scenarios of different kinds of night shifts people work and see if Smitty here has some ideas on how to let y'all do that better. So we've hit on caffeine. Let's spend some time on melatonin. Sure. I think that's a good one because so many people have questions about melatonin these days. So thanks to you and, and, your, <laughs> and your sleep colleagues, I probably, like most people listening to this, have been horribly misusing melatonin. Because if you just go to the store, they sell melatonin in all oh, different yes. dosages if you really start paying attention. But the most common dosages when I was looking the other day was 5 milligrams and 10 milligrams. Bingo. Uh, that is a massive dose. So I've been taking five milligrams in like a gel capsule for years and then not taking it because it made me super drowsy. Yeah. Start listening to you guys. And now I, I went and found a one milligram dissolvable mm-hmm. so I can pop it whenever. Yep. And that has made, I've woken up feeling so much more rested with just the one milligram dose than the five. Yeah, I, exactly. A little bit of exogenous is helpful for many evening shifters and night shifters, right? And, and melatonin, it's not a sleeping pill per se, right? I think that's why it gets kind of mislabeled by the media a lot as it's a sleeping aid or a sleeping pill. It's really not if you think about it. Melatonin is really a, a sort of a circadian alerting molecule, right, that your body makes. It tells you that it's it's nighttime. You should be preparing for bed. This is when we as humans normally would sleep. So that melatonin is made in response to that. So it helps you clue in that it's it's bedtime. Now, I'd say about a third, maybe up to 40% of people kind of get an added bonus in where it kind of makes them feel extra relaxed. And for some of those people, they fall asleep a little bit easier and they feel like their sleep quality is a little bit better. But the thing is, you really don't know until you try it. If you're going to go with the risk versus benefit, well, the risk of some of those sedative hypnotic medicines, right? We get into those Ambien's and Restorils and Lunesta's and Rosarums. Melatonin is probably safer longer term compared to some of those medications. So why not give it a try and just be aware that with melatonin, there probably is a ceiling effect for most people. Once you start going above five, six milligrams, there's probably no more bang for your buck per se, right? All you're going to get is same effect as if you had one to three milligrams, but now all of a sudden it's hanging around and you're probably going to make yourself groggy, that hungover feeling, and just not feeling great when you first get up after that sleep period. So for the average person, one to three milligrams over the counter, and maybe for night shift workers who have to uh, sleep during the day or an evening shift workers, an extended release preparation, probably beneficial, right? A little bit up front and a little bit throughout uh, over about four to seven hours, right? To kind of hopefully, if we're lucky, keep you asleep if you're one of those people that kind of get an extra bang for your buck with melatonin in the first place. Yeah, I didn't even know they had extended release until you told me that. Yeah, exactly. Most people, they look at it over the counter like, what is this? And they don't trust it. And they're rightfully so because a lot of these products are not FDA regulated. Mm-hmm. And, an, and another unfortunate thing is when they really looked at this in some sleep studies over the counter, products, about 71% of them didn't have what they said they did in them. Mm. Whether it was concentration of melatonin itself, some having nothing, some having up to four times the amount of melatonin in them, and then some having additives that were probably not healthy or just 
you know, no one knows anything about. You're kind of like rolling the dice. So you do have to be careful. And so if one melatonin preparation isn't working for you, you're better off tossing that bottle and going to something else, giving another one a try. And that's what I often tell people too. So if one didn't work for you, go ahead and give another one or a third one a try before you call it quits on melatonin. Because we're trying to find things that are natural that may be better for you long term compared to some of these prescription medications. Yeah, that's a good point. Last time I went to the pharmacy and looked, there was like seven different brands of melatonin. Bingo. And there are totally more than that. I mean, if you look online these days Mm -hmm. for if you just Google melatonin, there's all kinds of things. And there's so many products on the market now where melatonin is added to it. It's labeled as this proprietary blend of sleep and enhancing medicines. Mm-hmm. And most of them are anchored by melatonin. I think it's sticking to the small doses. You can try extended release if that's what you need it for to kind of keep you asleep for a longer period of time, either whether at night or during the day and uh, see if it works for you. So we've got our dosage better. Mm-hmm. Now I'm probably taking it at the wrong time because I usually forget uh, yes. until the last minute and I take it right before I hit the bed. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's wrong. I think right? that's many of us, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I think people are a little mystified by that because it often doesn't say on the bottle or the bottle just doesn't tell you about that part of it. Uh, most people 30 to 60 minutes before the desired bedtime, uh, because you know, it's still got to be absorbed in your body and sort of have an effect on you. And for most people, that's going to take a little bit of time. So I caution people, <laughs> don't take it when you're at work and then going to drive home for the next 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's not what we want because that's not safe. When you hit the door, when you get home, first thing you do, have that melatonin, keep it out on your counter. You know, if you're a night shift worker or an evening shift worker and uh, grab it when you get home, then you can, if you need a small snack or meal, prepare for bed. And then by that time, it should be half an hour to an hour later. And hopefully you're drowsy enough, groggy enough that you feel good and you're ready to kind of close those eyes for your beautiful sleep cycle that you're about to have. So yeah. 30 to 60 minutes before the desired bedtime. I think that's the best way to keep it right now. That's some solid advice. I think I'm going to leave mine out on the counter now and grab it as soon as I get home. I like yeah. that. Well, mm-hmm. keep it out. You know, keep out the things that are important to you. Keep it by the toothbrush. That way you remember to pop it before you kind of go to bed. And hopefully you do that at least 30 minutes beforehand or keep it by the front door or the kitchen. If you have, you like to have a light snack before you go to bed, um, those kinds of things. So you can get it in quickly enough so that it'll have a chance to have an effect for you so you actually can fall asleep easier. So if I'm using the proper dose and I'm not using extend release, does it hang around? Probably. They've done studies where um, they've tested the melatonin levels for people who took exogenous melatonin. Throughout the night, their melatonin levels were higher than the people who were on placebo. So that extra melatonin is around. But, I, you know, I, I think it's something that we poorly understand is the threshold that you need in your body to have its effect. So yes, it's probably higher than if you took nothing, right? Because it's hanging around a little bit. The absorption rate, the breakdown, metabolism rate, you know, everyone's a little bit different, but it's going to be broken down and processed by your body. So it's probably going to be higher than your own level. But as long as you're at that threshold or above it, hopefully it's enhancing your sleep. And hopefully before you wake up, the metabolism of whatever you took has fallen enough so that you feel good when you wake up. And that way we avoid that hangover effect. Gotcha. And that's a little bit of trial and error, I think. Now, if I take melatonin all the time and then just stop taking it for a while, I've got my sleep down or I'm not on night shift for a couple of months. Right. Am I, is my body still going to make enough, a normal amount on night shift? Or has it gotten used to the exogenous melatonin and is no longer going to make as much? Sort of as like far as we know, you're something. still going to make the melatonin. Your your body and the and the neural pathways are still going to be firing, right? And then it really becomes a process of 
keeping the regimen, keeping the routine of when you sleep and when you wake up. That, if you do it long enough, has trained your brain. You have entrained your brain to make melatonin at that time. Mm. So hopefully at that point, you can sort of quit the melatonin or decrease the melatonin dose. And you're not really you're not really tolerant or dependent at that point. You've actually entrained your brain to make the melatonin at the time that works for you. Let's do a couple more OTC meds. What about the antihistamines, diphenhydramine? Oh, boy. A lot of times it gets marketed as a sleep aid by itself. What do you think about those? You know, I find a lot of people just aren't aware that a lot of these Tylenol PMs, um, Advil PMs, Unisoms, they are all derivatives really of sort of a antihistamine. Uh, You know, we think of Benadryl, right? That's diphenhydramine. Well, if you look on a lot of these, they they use uh, compounds like doxyalamine. Well, if you notice the, that last part there, the amine, right? Diphenhydramine, doxyalamine, um, they're all kind of insinuating that they're antihistamine compounds. So they probably have their place, um, you know, when you have a really tough night every once in a while that, you know, they can make you drowsy because histamine is one of those naturally occurring, alerting, hormones in your brain. So they help. It helps to keep you awake. And when you block it, it makes you drowsy and groggy. For a lot of people, that helps you fall asleep. The problem is with a lot of antihistamines is you tend to have a lot of hangover effect. They make me feel terrible. Yes, me as well. And I've tried it before uh, doing night shifts and, and during training, and I just felt like kind of was in a fog the next day, at least for the next few hours of being awake. You know, when I first wake up in the morning time or something like that, I just felt like I just was not myself. I was like, man, this is not worth it. And so I find a lot of people have the same problem with the antihistamines, that there's this hangover rebound effect where you're just kind of living in a, a haze, a, a fog for a few hours before it starts to clear up. So it probably has its place on some of those really difficult nights. Uh, maybe when you're making the shift, right, from a rotating shift where you're kind of doing night shift and all of a sudden you have to go to day shift, but you sort of have some in-between time where you know you need to sleep for a little bit or else you're not going to get to sleep for another like day and a half or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so it may have a small place there. I always caution people, use the lowest dose possible that works for you because the higher doses will definitely make you hungover, groggy, uh, foggy the next day. And the other thing about the antihistamines is you will build up tolerance to these medicines. Mm-hmm. So if you're a chronic user of it, the likelihood is that more and more is going to, it's going to be taken by you in order to get the same benefit, that same effect of, Oh, I feel good. I feel groggy. and I'm going to fall asleep very quickly now. So, you know, you start off at that 25 milligrams of Benadryl mm-hmm. before you know it a month later, you're on hundred milligrams and whoa, coming off of that is not going to be pretty, uh, when you miss that dose or when you don't have it, or you run out and you forgot to get more at the drugs store, mm. uh, it's going to hit you hard probably. So I am not a big fan of them. I, I don't think they're our friend, especially on a routine basis. If you need them to help you out here and there on a rare basis, it's probably okay. Let's talk about hypnotics a little bit. So I know a lot of shift workers have either regularly use or intermittently use Ambien or Lunesta they work pretty well. What's your thoughts on them? <laughs> yeah, I think that's an easy way. I think that's an easy summation of what these medications really do, right? They work pretty well. Uh, for most people, yeah. If you take a high enough dose, you'll fall asleep. Uh, you know, I think the, the big thing is talking about the risks and the benefits and the side effects potentially with any patient that's going to go on them. Uh, they definitely have their place. And I'm I'm not a 
big fan of them. Uh, and I think that's more because of the long-term association studies that have come out recently in the last years for people who take a lot of doses of these medications. Uh, unfortunately, there was a new study that just came out once again, I think in the Journal of Clinical Sleep Medicine or the JCSM. Uh, I think it was based in South Korea uh, for people who take a lot of these set of hypnotic medications, right? So these are kind of the Ambien's, Lunesta's, Rosarum's, uh, this type of medicines um, often referred to as non-benzodiazepine benzodiazepine receptor agonists. So non-benzo benzos, right? Mm. Kind of in a funky place there uh, on their own. Uh, But people who take a lot of these pills, uh, for some reason, they don't live as long. So their all-cause mortality Mm. is increased compared to the general population who takes none of these pills. So I always caution people that when they come in and they've been taking ambient controlled release or ambient regular release 10 milligrams for 20 years of their life, I just want you to know this. There have been association studies showing, you know, increased Mm -hmm. risks of cancer, increased all-cause mortality, possibly even early dementia risk. These are not good things, right? Right. No one wants to be labeled or diagnosed with any of those problems or dying because no one knows why, right? Um, However, uh, if you look at some of the studies on this, for some of these patients with uh, that truly have night shift and evening shift workers who have insomnia because they can't get to sleep the next day, uh, these medications do improve sleep and they've been shown to increase the total sleep time. But it's at the risk of increased side effects, right? Uh, drowsiness, decreased alertness after they wake up, sleep eating, sleepwalking, falls, accidents, drowsy driving, car accidents. So those are the side effects mm-hmm. we're most acutely aware of and concerned with when these patients are on these kinds of medications. But I I feel bad, right? You know, I I feel for my patients and my friends and family that have evening shift and night shift work, if they're truly struggling with their sleep and they feel so awful because of their work, you feel like you want to get them some relief somehow, some way. So I try to always talk about a plan to get them on and get them off the medicine, right? So that's, I think, a take-home point. Have a plan for on, have a plan for getting off, using the lowest dose possible that works for you for the shortest period of time, right? We, we want to work on insomnia. Um, and really, you know, these medications are not the preferred agents or really the preferred way to treat insomnia in anybody. The preferred treatment in the sleep world is cognitive behavioral therapy specifically for insomnia, and that's CBTI. Uh, Throughout the United States, that's routinely done by many sort of trained psychologists who perform CBTI in all types of cities, rural areas, and things like that. Unfortunately, we don't have enough practitioners to go around because there's so many people with uh, problems of insomnia, whether you are a day shift worker or night shift worker or rotating shift worker. um, Everyone could use uh, some therapy through CBTI, you kind of understand all sorts of things between sleep hygiene, stimulus control, relaxation techniques, uh, identifying the inappropriate behaviors we do sometimes, and sort of replacing them with healthy behaviors. Mm -hmm. So really the goal is if you're on it, I understand why you need it sometimes. So let's use it on a short-term basis for as short as possible and as low a dose as possible. But let's find some alternative methods to treat your insomnia and your sleep complaints and enhancing good sleep hygiene and the things you're doing, the behaviors around it as well. Try to keep you on a good sleep cycle. Going back to the basics, of course. Yeah. So I've got a colleague who uses them intermittently. So we're, we're rotating shift workers, I guess, if you wanted to put a label yeah, I on guess, it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So work some day shift, some night shift and kind of switch back and forth, which is extremely unhealthy. But yeah. anyways, uh, so if, if she's doing a long stretch, then she won't necessarily need it until, until she's flipping back to days is when she uses mm. it. Does that seem reasonable since it's probably only once or twice a month? 
Yeah, I, I I do think that's pretty reasonable because those tend to be the toughest on people to kind of uh, throw that circadian rhythm th- for a real loop. Mm-hmm. You know, all of a sudden you, you are one way and then all of a sudden you're the opposite way. You know, you've kind of turned 180 degrees on itself. Um, and a lot of people have really struggled with that. You know, they, they will tell you that, well, I try to keep everything dark and cool and quiet. Uh, I take my melatonin and I just, ugh, you know, on those flip days, I just can't make it. I don't know what to do. And I feel for them on those because that's really difficult. Uh, I do think kind of uh, melatonin is nice, but you can supplement it, you know, with a low dose uh, sedative hypnotic medication at that point. And there's data out there to, to prove this. You know, I'm not just kind of spitballing it here, but um, there's some medicines like um, temazepam, triazolam, right? So the benzos, the strict benzos, and actually Ambien as well uh, have been shown to kind of improve sleep by 30 to 60 minutes in night shift workers. Right, so there is some data out there that these can, these agents can help, and like you said, using it sparingly, I think, is a take home point. So if you're using it once or twice a month, because that's where you do your flips uh, between your night shift and your day shift, or your evening shift and a morning shift, that's probably where it's most beneficial to kind of get you over those hump days in a way, and still mm-hmm. get you a little bit of sleep. Now, sometimes though, you have to remember you may sleep more. All right, and I'm going to say this twice: you may sleep more. But you may not feel extra awake after you slept, Mm. right? And that's because the medicine puts you to sleep. So you're paying back a little bit of your sleep debt. But remember, you're still fighting your circadian rhythm. And that's where the key is. You can fight it as much as you want, but it usually wins. Gotcha. Right? So just because you took the medicine doesn't mean you're going to wake up feeling awesome, wonderful, and ready to go performing at your best. So you can still have excessive sleepiness despite getting the sleep enhanced by the medicine or promoted by the medicine. Mm. And that's the other take home point, I think. Interesting. Let's talk about the wake promoting agents. So you've got new vigil and pro vigil. I have taken them a couple of times. They seem to work pretty well too. What do you think? <laughs> you know, they they are wake promoting agents. I think they're a little bit gentler than the true stimulant medications, right? Those would be the methylphenidates, the dextroamphetamines, medications like atomoxetine. Those are more the stimulant medications, right? They can cause headaches, palpitations, sort of anxiety feelings. These wake promoting agents, they tend to have not as a high feeling, but they definitely keep you more awake when you take them. A lot of people in evening shift and night shift work take these medications and they do help quite a bit. Um, once again, it has to be individualized because, you know, there are side effects from any medicine you give people. And these are also in that kind of milieu of medicines that are pretty strong when you take them. Now, they are approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration for shift work disorder. So, you know, th- thankfully, we do have them at our disposal. Pretty good, I would say, moderate quality evidence that both of the medicines, modafinil and armodafinil, or Nuvigil and Provigil, uh, can help sort of keep you more alert, more awake, and hopefully kind of enhance your performance while you're working in the evening shift or night shift. So it definitely improves sleepiness when they studied night shift workers. Sometimes within a few days, they felt like it helped improve their alertness to daytime levels. So I'd say there's, you know, a little bit of evidence there that this is really helpful and this can help in people who really have trouble adjusting to their, you know, that rhythm of working in the evening time or at nighttime overnight. So I I do think they have their place. I think they are good. I'm not opposed to prescribing them for my own patients when I see them in the clinic. I think the most common side effects that I warn patients about 
nausea and headaches. So if you're kind of someone who's prone to that. Uh, also, rare cases of a very serious rash and skin condition called Steven Johnson syndrome. Mm-hmm. No one wants that. If you Google that one, you will find some <laughs> ugly, nasty pictures. Trust me. <laughs> and so I do warn every patient that I put on these medications. Steven Johnson is a possibility. And I make them look at the Google page. <laughs> uh, the other thing is for women, birth control deactivation. Let me say again. Birth control deactivation. It means unplanned pregnancies. Serious. No one wants to unplanned pregnancy with a medication that could be uh, teratogenic, right? To cause more malformations or mutations uh, that could be dangerous to a fetus. So those are the big side effects to be on the watch for. But I definitely think if you're someone who has this impaired alertness during the evening shift, night shift, they have their place and they can be helpful. So if you're taking it on a regular basis, do you get the kind of same tolerance that you get with your sedative hypnotics? For the most part, no. Uh, most people can do well for a long period of time uh, for a stable dose of these medications. And we know from, I think, some of our patients who have excessive sleepiness despite you know CPAP therapy for their sleep apnea and some of our narcoleptic patients um, that you know they can be on these medications for a, quite a long period of time and stay at a very stable dose and have relatively good effects uh, and sort of good alertness related to the medication. I think it's a good transition point. I'm going to hit you with some scenarios of different shifts that I know people are on and and see what you would do. Uh, I'll start you off easy and (laughs) talk about the scenario you're currently on. Uh, So you do one kind of 24-hour shift how uh, four a month is that right a little, it's little about less? four a month i think yeah one weekend uh let's wait one weekend a month and then about two weekdays two night two nights uh after working all day of course so sort of being on call so if and, you were designing your sleep plan around that schedule how would you do that yeah for me um you know i'm a I, I, thankfully, I'm a pretty good sleeper on my own already. So what I tend to do is I'm definitely a front loader of caffeine. So, you know, when I know I'm going into an evening shift, I'm probably going to be up for quite a, an extended period of time after working all day. So, you know, 24 plus, um, I will have a cup or two of coffee going into that evening shift, right? When I have my dinner, I may have actually a little bit of coffee with it. And then I try to tail off my coffee by the end of the night. So like I said, about four to six hours, I know. Uh, so let's say I get off at around six or 7 a.m., you know, after one or two a.m., I'm kind of more conscious like hey no more coffee for the for the night i will see if i fall asleep initially when i get home if i do great and i'll allow myself to sleep for a few hours to catch up from my sleep for the night from before and that's usually for me about four hours if i don't sleep at all i don't fight it right because if you're fighting your sleep you just end up struggling and worrying about it and then you don't feel good about anything if i'm awake i say you know what the heck with it today i'm gonna be awake my brain's not letting me sleep I'll do activities. I'll have fun. I'll try to do as much as I can. And then I know that in the afternoon time, it may hit me then that that lack of sleep the night before. So I may take a short nap. And if I can't take a short nap, I'll continue on doing my activities as much as I can tolerate until the sleep truly hits me. Because I know on those days when I don't take any naps in the morning or afternoon, I tend to feel sleepier than I normally would by dinner time, it hits me for some reason. I can just like almost feel it. Mm-hmm. Whereas I know I was like, Hey, I almost tell my wife sometimes she's nice enough to me to kind of let me turn in early. And usually I'm out pretty quickly at that point. Gotcha. And that way I, I haven't ruined my sleep for that night going into the next day. Uh, now I'm not opposed for, for people coming off that shift. If they want a little bit of melatonin to kind of help enhance or get them to sleep a little bit faster. I just find I don't need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm still able to sleep the following night. Okay. On its own. So more often than not, taking a a short, maybe three to four hour split sleep, if you will, in the morning 
Maybe a nap in the afternoon if you haven't. Sure. And then going to bed earlier that night. Bingo. Got yeah. It. I let my body uh, judge and tell me, hopefully I can listen to it, uh, tell me what it needs. And, you know, and that's like I said, either I fall asleep or I don't. And if I don't, then you know what? I try to be at least a little bit productive during the day and get some things done. Let's do a classic hospital shift worker kind mm-hmm. of week. So I've got, I'm a night shifter only. That's my main job. Mm-hmm. And I have to work this week. I'm working three night shifts in a row. So I work, that's my whole week. I work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, there are three thirteens or whatever. So we'll yeah. say seven, a to seven P roughly. <laughs> I feel bad so. for you guys already. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so what should I do for that week? Okay. So, uh, let's go back. So you said Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, let's say are yeah. the night shift. So you're yeah. going to start Tuesday uh, night. Mm-hmm. All right. So Monday, let's say you're working, but let's say it's a day shift. You know, Monday you get off at 7 p.m., but you're not working again until Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. Right. So a lot of times for Monday night, a lot of people would say it's easier to delay that sleep. Stay up a little bit longer mm-hmm. going into Tuesday. That's what I usually try. Exactly. And I think you're on to something there because for many people, it's hard to tell them to fall asleep earlier, right? If I told you to go to bed right now, but yet your brain's telling you to, why would I want to go to bed right now? I want to be awake. That's pretty hard. You have to fight this. You know, kind of have to fight it. Uh, when I tell you to stay up a little bit longer, that tends to be a little bit easier for most people. Mm-hmm. Hey, John, stay up a little bit longer tonight. And you say, uh, okay, I can do that, right? Mm-hmm. I can watch another program, right? I can watch another football game on tonight, right? Uh, when the, you know, bowl series is coming around and the when playoffs and stuff like that, right? So you can stay up a little bit longer for most people. So going into that night shift day, um, maybe you want to stay up a little bit longer the following day, right? You may need to take a nap before your shift. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So taking that night shift. Um, so you come into Tuesday, maybe you get a small nap before your night shift. That's great. If you don't, well tough luck, right? And sometimes the brain doesn't always want to comply with what you want to do. So you go into that night shift. I think, remember once again, the front loading of the caffeine into the Tuesdays. So Tuesday evening, front loading the caffeine, taking a little bit. Now, if you're someone who has something like new vigil or pro vigil available to you, and you know, that first night shift is very difficult for you. Some of those patients, right? Those are the ones that may need uh, in the beginning of the night shift uh, for the first night, sometimes taking those wake promoting agents, but the caffeine gotcha. can be good. Now, here's the other trick of the trade. Sometimes going into the night shifts, light box therapy. Usually those light boxes, right, what we used to use up north for seasonal affective disorder, what we call SAD, um, can be very helpful for shift workers to kind of shift that circadian rhythm, re-energize them, resynchronize things. So usually between two and 10,000 lux, keeping it within eyeshot, kind of sustained uh, looking at it, having it in the same room. So whether that's the restroom, whether that's the kitchen, whether that's the living room area, mm. keep it close to you for about 30 minutes to an hour. Okay. Uh, and you want to do that more before your night shift, right? Gotcha. Because we're, we want to, instead of your brain getting its normal signal to fall asleep, we want to give the brain signals to be awake, mm. which makes sense. You're going to be awake for the next 12 hours working hard. So you want to kind of shift your rhythm back, make your sleep shift later, you give the brain lots of bright light so it doesn't make its own melatonin. You shift the rhythm back. So, so we are phase shifting you, we call that, right, in sleep medicine. Gotcha. Right? For like, like for frequent jet travelers and business travelers, international travelers, shift workers, we want to phase shift you. We want to fake out the brain a little bit uh, for those few night shifts and sort of tell the brain, hey, it's time to be awake. And that way, hopefully, uh, being awake, and that's a process S, that sleep process, right, will build up the entire shift and you'll be sleepy the next day. One of the things when I've asked a lot of night shift workers 
So what do they do on their off days? You work your three days and you're done. I found some huge variability. Some, oh, yeah. Actually, the person that stay, the quote, stays on night shift is pretty rare. I feel like yeah. most night shift workers, even if they don't work day shift, kind of flip themselves over because of social obligations, etc. Mm-hmm. Or they just become evening people and stay awake till 2 Bingo. or 3 a.m. Right. Is is there one that's recommended over the other if you're a night shift worker? And this is a tough one. And I and I debate, you know, going back and forth and talking to my colleagues and other sleep providers, you know, what 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 do they do, right? And what do they recommend and how do they deal with these problems? Because we all see people that have the, you know, like I we talked about earlier, um, how many people are night shift workers, John and I were discussing the stats on this. Um, it's a big problem. And so what they have found is people who are constantly in a rotating shift compared to people who keep a constant cycle, rotating shift does worse over time, right? It is harder to adapt to that. They tend to have less sleep efficiency. They tend to have less total sleep time when you're constantly in a rotation, right? It's a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So you probably long-term, it's better to stay near your normal work shift if it's not fully near it, I, I, we, we understand that because like you said, it's the social life obligations that you really have to account for that you can't do anything about sometimes. Right. right. Unfortunately, um, fortunately and unfortunately, right. Uh, banking, let's say, right. You can do a lot of banking stuff online these days. That's wonderful. Right. So you can, if you're up at, uh, 5 a.m., right. That's what your mm-hmm. work shift is. Great. You can do a lot of it online these days, mm-hmm. but sometimes you need to go to a physical bank. Not as much these days, but sometimes you do. Well, guess what? They're not usually open at 5 a.m. Or tell me that bank's name if you know it, because that would be good for some of our night shifters. A new bank. (laughs) So, (laughs) hey, look at that. We've got an idea here already, right? Um, So that's the problem. So I I think for a lot of people, if you're able to maintain your social and life responsibilities by maintaining your normal shift, sort of not shifting back and forth, that's probably the way to go. I think that's kind of unrealistic, though, for many of our workers. They need to shift back because it just fits better with their lifestyle. So I think those days off are the most important days to really put yourself first, right? And that's mm-hmm. putting your own health first right. uh, because you're going to feel the best if you do that, right? And that's taking care of that shift, whether it's light therapy with a melatonin, natural ways to kind of enhance that shift, help it out instead of hurt it. And just, you know, instead of going out the entire day next day and just paying the price for the next day of the shift work. Well, that's, that's just going to, over time, you're going to, you're going to build up a huge debt of sleep and, and fatigue and just daytime sleepiness. And you're just not going to feel very good long-term. So it's important on those flip days, on those extra days to sleep that you pay attention to them and you take advantage of them to sort of, you know, it's your own health. And mm-hmm. that's what we sort of try to reinforce. It may be the harder thing to do, and those people have more disruptive sleep, the, sh- the ones who shift back and forth all the time. Um, but we get it. You know, it's it's part of life. Uh, so just pay attention and take advantage of those days. Don't waste them or squabble them uh, because you're likely to pay the price for those um, days, whether it comes to us- utilizing your days off to enjoy or whether it comes to your performance on your, on your shift. Right. Uh, and that's something we don't want to have to sacrifice. So we've talked about the classic three-day-a-week hospital shift worker. There are also a lot of workers that do seven-on, seven-off, and they work seven nights in a row, or I guess what I would say extended nights in a row. Uh, and then maybe they have a week off right after that. Any any thoughts other than what we've already talked about for those people? 
Yeah, you know, and I, I think it's still is sort of the same as what we've sort of talked about. Um, unfortunately, like a week on week off tends to be very difficult for a lot of people. The body never really gets a chance to develop a healthy pattern um, mm-hmm. of when to sleep and when to be awake. I think unfortunately, those people really bear the brunt of it. Like we were just saying, people who have a constant night shift and it never changes um, tend to report over time that their circadian rhythm readjusts and they tend to sleep sort of quote unquote, okay, compared to the people that are always shifting. If you have to do shift work and you have to be um, open and up and ready to go in the evening time or the nighttime, um, you know, I think some of the research uh, supports more long-term. So like six weeks to two months at a time, if you can get away with that, or, or you're switching with colleagues to take that on, even though it sounds a little daunting, like, oh, geez, why would I ever want to be uh, on night shifts for six weeks in a row? you're probably better off doing that than just a week on week off at a time. Mm. So try to consolidate it and get it all done. Let's say for a month at a time, Mm -hmm. instead of a week on week off, week on week off and doing that constant flip. And that, unfortunately that brain just bears the brunt of it and it has no clue what you're doing to it anymore at that point. Right. Um, So that's what I think the best way to handle it is see if your work or your colleagues or your coworkers will shift with you. So you can kind of do it for a month, do it for six weeks, then shift back to a more routine or day shift kind of work schedule. Gotcha. So I think that that kind of leads me into my last little mini case. We do, as I mentioned earlier, we do a lot of rotating shifts. So Mm -hmm. I've got, uh, I've got a stretch of nights coming up and then probably three or four days later, I'll be back on day shift, Mm -hmm. which is, that is what I find the most challenging piece of working night shift is, is reorienting yourself and flipping back to days. And we've talked about this some, but any specific sleep strategies on on doing that a little better? I right now what I do, I'll just mm-hmm. give you my spiel. Like I take the one milligram melatonin, uh, kind of right as I'm getting off that last night shift, mm-hmm. get a and I get a good solid maybe a six hour, maybe eight top sleep there, and then I take melatonin again mm-hmm. that very same night. Oh, okay. And sleep for another six, eight hours if yeah. I can. Just pay back some of that sleep debt right. and try to put myself back on a normal schedule. It's yeah. That's not a bad idea. I've never really thought about that too much. You brought up something uh, highlighting that good, I guess, right? Why not? You're almost taking sort of two melatonins in the day. Mm-hmm. Once again, low doses. I think that's where you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. Um, staying at the low doses instead of kind of suffering from the gra- uh, grogginess or hangover effect of taking, you know, if you had taken 10 milligrams and 10 milligrams, I don't think you would have had a good day the yeah. following day, to be honest with you. I think it would have been a rough day on you. But staying at the low doses, I think you're kind of getting the good without the bad. Uh, and that's probably the best way to do it. Um uh, it's hard. I, I do think sometimes then the best way to do it is take a little bit of melatonin, get that anchoring sleep in if you can, right? If you can get a good few hours in to kind of pay back a little sleep debt and then actually get outside, get some bright light going, right? If you have, you know, if you live, you're lucky enough to live in a nice environment where you can be outside for a few hours, uh, do some errands, activities, something, get a little fresh air and bright light, right? It's probably not going to hurt anything to re entrain, realign that rhythm to going back to the sleeping at nighttime then. Right, because the, the the eye and the brain and all those neural connections they depend on that light. It's one of the entraining uh, factors that we use. Right, like I said before, whether it's exercise, so maybe as hard as it is sometimes on those uh, shift days, on those flip mm-hmm. days, getting to the gym for a little bit, even if it's walking on the treadmill for fifteen minutes, right, getting that aerobic activity in for a little to get the heart rate up, get things flowing, uh, seeing a little bright light, obviously, because that's what's going to happen when you're exercising. Um, you know, keeping a normal eating schedule, so not doing this fun 
funky eating. And my wife always yells at me when I do that on flip days <laughs> saying, you know, you gotta, you can't eat, you know, lunch at 4 PM and then think you're going to eat dinner at six. It's not going right. to work. Um, and she's right actually. So she probably is like a mini doctor. She sometimes knows more than I do, or maybe she calls me out on my bad habits. I don't know. Um, but I think those are the little important things you can do when you need it. I, and like I said before, I think I'm not really opposed to, for those rare indications of using a little bit of Ambien to help that night, the next night, uh, getting a little bit of sleep or help helping initiate sleep at least. So you mm-hmm. can get a few more hours in uh, to kind of get you back onto cycle. So I'm, I'm someone who would be for that. And I think, like you said, the low dose melatonin makes sense too to kind of supplement what's going on. Okay. But I think the the key in that is then not taking melatonin instead of, like we said, the anchor sleep, not laying in the bed all day, thinking you're going to go right back to sleep that night. Right. I think right. those are the guilty party people that come to me saying, oh, I just sleep so awful on those, on those flip mm-hmm. days. Well, I said, what did you, and I asked him, what did you do? Well, you know, I just kind of, you know, moped around the house. I watched uh, Netflix for 12 hours. I said, well, what do you think was going to happen, right? You were laying in the couch for 12 hours and you thought you were just going to go right back to bed. Your body is saying, hey, you kind of gave me some sleep now. So why do you want me to sleep again? I've got no drive to sleep. Um, and so you now you're fighting your own, your process S and your process C a little bit, right? And when you struggle to fight those, I think a lot of sleep you know, gets disturbed. So if you go back to the basics, right, um, it often explains why your sleep is not that great sometimes. It makes a lot of sense. Of course, we like, we just briefly gleaned on uh, sleep disorders themselves. And that's the other reason people come to the sleep clinic. They're like, wait, maybe I've got a little weight to lose. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm snoring very heavily and I'm not, and everyone tells me I stopped breathing in my sleep. Like, hey, wait, not only do you have night shift or shift work disorder or circadian rhythm disorder, you've got sleep apnea or something like that. So you got to treat both of those things. Mm-hmm. And that's what, uh, you know, that's why a qualified sleep person is important because they can clue into other things as well. Not just give you good tips for your, your shifts, but also, hey, you may have this other thing going on and we need to pay attention to this so we can actually get you quality, good sleep while you're sleeping. And Absolutely. that'll help you obviously feel better. Absolutely. Well, I think we've hit a ton of stuff here, but just any, don't any worry, closing? John, I will not charge you extra money uh, <laughs> for extra episodes that we have created here today. And hopefully people will, will really find this helpful, uh, not just understanding a little bit why the, the problem exists in the first place, right? The pathophysiology of their sleep and the problems with night shift and evening shift, but what we can do about it, number one, naturally, and probably the healthiest way. Number two, that medications aren't the enemy, but when we understand why we're using them, what the risks and the side effects of these medications, they can be used, you know, in a wise fashion and actually help you out. That's what these medicines were originally created for, to actually help you, not hurt you. It's just knowing that they're not all perfect and every medication we put into our body potentially has side effects. So remember the good habits, right? When we are closing here today, remember the simple things you can do, whether that's your sleep environment, whether that's the sunglasses, the cool room, the dark room, the white noise machine. Look at the Dodo. If you want to, if you're someone who has trouble falling asleep, right? The Dodo device online, the D-O-D-O-W device. It's something simple. It really can be helpful for a lot of people who have issues with kind of calming down that mind, calming the breath down. Melatonin is not the enemy, but remember the low doses. Remember the extended release. Look at that over the counter because a lot of people don't realize how helpful that can be. And the other thing is the light box. The light box is something so simple that we've forgotten about. It's not expensive anymore. You can see how you can control how many lux a lot of them even admit into the eyes. Um, They're easy to use. They're easy to purchase. You can battery operate it. You can keep them anywhere in work, in the vehicle, and even in the house. 
weight promoting medicines and sedative hypnotic medicines, you really got to rush out, reach out to your sleep provider or your primary care physician or someone who really understands sleep uh, to talk about the risk and the benefit of those because they can be helpful in the right situation. And I think many of us in the sleep world, uh, we're, we're not uh, inclined to give them to everybody, but we understand when they're needed sometimes um, on an intermittent basis. So good sleep can be attained. Treat sleep like it's important these days because the electronics and the blue light and everything else that's hitting us all 24-7, it does have an effect on our brain. It has an effect on our sleep. uh, And we can do better at kind of pay attention to our own health, pay attention to our sleep because good sleep equals good health. Well, Smitty, thank you so much for being on this episode. Just from hearing the listeners before this (laughs) even came out, I know we've got tons of people that are going to be ecstatic to have this episode. There's... There's so much information on this, but it's sometimes there can be misinformation on this. And I think that we've hit on a ton of really, really useful advice for everybody. If, if anyone has any questions, we're going to make show notes for this episode. Of course, that's going to have a lot of links to this stuff for sure. Until next time, keep reading, keep streaming and keep breathing and try to get some sleep. That's right.